0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. We have got a phenomenal show planned for you guys this evening. Gotten many requests for us to do a show based on health. So that's what we're going to be doing tonight. We're be talking about inflammation with my guest, Dr. Cole, So sit back, grab a drink, enjoy this conversation we've got set up for you guys. The human experience is in session. My name is Xavier Katana. Our guest for this evening is Dr. Will Cole. Dr. Will Cole is... A functional medicine expert, Dr. Cole discovers and treats the underlying factors of chronic illnesses, breaking away from the limited approach of standard care, which overly relies on drugs and hormones without getting to the root cause of illness. Dr. Cole gained his doctorate from the Southern California University of Health Sciences He is trained in functional medicine, clinical nutrition, blood chemistry, neurology, and botanical medicine. Dr. Cole was named one of the top 50 functional medicine and integrative doctors in the nation. He's led courses teaching people how to better understand their diet and health all around the world. Dr. Cole, Will, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to HXP.
1: Oh my goodness, the pleasure is all mine. Thanks for having me.
0: So I mean, it's it's such a key part of who we are, right? Is what we eat. And you I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get to this point? I mean, we were talking a little bit about this in the pre show, but I mean you're you're a pretty young guy, and how did you get how did you move into this sort of phase of of you know being an author?
1: Yeah, I, th- I appreciate that. So I I love health and wellness. I love functional medicine. I love writing. I love people. So it's really a, an awesome place where God has brought me, I think, in my life where I get to talk to people around the world. As I was telling you, I mean, I have a virtual functional medicine practice. So I get to consult people all around the world about functional medicine. And we deal with patients with autoimmune conditions, hormone problems, digestive issues, neurological issues like anxiety and depression and fatigue. Um, and I, I like, I live and breathe this functional medicine stuff. So, but my interest in wellness began growing up. I grew in a, up in a home that was interested in health. My dad was into like bodybuilding in the eighties, uh, And, um, they, my parents ate super clean. I thought that was normal Hmm. growing up. And this was like in the eighties and nineties in like the rural uh, countryside outside of Pittsburgh in Western Pennsylvania. Um, but I learned quickly when you're in school that that actually wasn't normal to eat like adaptogenic tonics and, you know, weird mineral elixirs and organic stuff. But, uh, and, and, and this was in the eighties and nineties, let alone, you know, it was not what wellness is today. Um, And then that kind of informed me professionally as I grew up. I knew that I wanted to to be formally trained in this space of wellness. So I went to a a very well-esteemed school in the space at Southern California University of Health Sciences, as you had mentioned. And I was – heard of a guy who had gone to my school. He was older than I was. His name was Datis Karazian, Mm -hmm. uh, who even today is still one of the godfathers of functional medicine. So that's when I knew, okay, functional medicine was the space where it's really the best of Western medicine, which is getting being evidence-based and running labs and being analytical, and the best of alternative health, which is actually getting somebody healthy and getting to the root cause. And it's functional medicine is really the marrying of both East and West in many ways. Mm. So that's, that's what my, my job is. It's consulting patients. And all the while throughout this whole time, I loved writing. And when I wasn't seeing patients, I was writing about, uh, research and making it easy to understand. And that's how my two books came to be. Uh, Ketotarian was my first book. It's a mostly plant-based ketogenic book, Mm. um, with recipes and meal plans and all that sort of practical stuff. And now, uh, my second book, uh, it comes out October fifteenth. It's on pre-order now. It's called The Inflammation Spectrum. So it's really a deep dive into the space of inflammation and how it's such a commonality between just about every health problem we face as a world today. And to provide people like practical, real-life tools to start reclaiming their health because so many people are are un, you know, unnecessarily struggling with health issues when my experience in functional medicine has shown me over the years that largely these things are overcomable and healable and reversible things. So Mm -hmm. why would we want to settle for anything less? So it's really uh, my heart to really get this message out there for people that they have agency on their wellness. They don't have to just settle for a bleak existence of, of health issues.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so many people that I personally know people that uh, I come across or encounter and you know, they, they struggle with Inflammation, and in the opening pages of, of your book uh, Inflammation Spectrum, you, know, you talk about how our current age is the age of inflammation that's what you call it so let's let's define that what, wh- how do we define inflammation and, and what are some of the the, the health conditions surrounding infl- what inflammation is
1: Sure, so uh, inflammation is a product of the immune system. And it's because of that, it's not inherently bad. Uh, inflammation fights viruses and bacteria. It's a good part of our immune system. Healthy, balanced inflammation is a great thing. And you, it's just really down to the Goldilocks principle, right? Not too high, not too low, but just right. And with inflammation, just right at the right time when you need it and then calm down when we don't need it. The problem with so many people today around the world is that they're struggling with chronic inflammation that's too high Hmm. so that's linked to uh, autoimmune conditions is are inflammatory diabetes cancer heart disease to mental health issues like anxiety and depression and fatigue and brain fog Research suggests that these are inflammatory in nature as well, mm-hmm. um, at least having inflammatory components to them. So it is really at the heart of – I mean those issues that I just mentioned are basically almost everybody in the human race is impacted by that to some degree in some way. So that's what this inflammation spectrum that I talk about in the book is really about. It's this continuum of inflammatory cascades that people can find them on. And these things are constantly and dynamically shifting. And it's checking in with your body to find out where your inflammation levels are at now and looking at your energy levels, looking at your digestion, looking at your sleep, mm-hmm. because these are check engine lights to see where your inflammation levels are. On one end of the spectrum, it's the low grade fatigue or anxiety or dig- digestive problems. And then the other end of the spectrum, our full-blown, you know, ICD-10, like, diagnosis codes and and then everything in between on this inflammation spectrum. So it, this is um, – these are the people I spend my time with consulting. I know it's the people that are listening to this conversation right now, mm-hmm. and I know it, it's, it's impacting so many people. And if it's not impacting you, it's impacting someone you love. Um, and this is the state – when I say this is the age of inflammation, it's a sad statement. It's not a good thing. To deal with this this age of chronic inflammation.
0: Hmm, okay, so I mean let's let's get to the root cause. I mean, it, if if you if, when you encounter a patient, I mean, what is what is something that you would call the most common thing or theme that you see with most people? What are people doing wrong with with their diet?
1: So this is the the bigger the question because we we talk about inflammation and inflammation is this commonality between all these health problems but then as we explore in the book and how I explore for my patients it's what's driving inflammation where because the body's interconnected uh, something is upstream from inflammation something is driving it but then. Because the body is interconnected, inflammation in one area can beget inflammation in other areas, and it's what's called systemic inflammation in the research, um, and this poly-inflammation, if you will, where you have inflammation uh, because of, of the body's interconnectedness. So. If we look at the things that are driving inflammation, what is upstream to inflammation? It is food, as you suggested, and that's a lot of what we talk about in the book, because every food that we eat, every breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snack is either feeding inflammation or fighting it. There's no neutral food, there's no Switzerland meal, it's, it's serving one or the other. Mm in some bigger ways and some smaller ways depending on what you're having and how much you're having of it, and your own genetic adaptation and tolerance for these sort of things and your gut microbiome balance. There's, of course, variables to consider. But, but ultimately, food is doing one or the other. And uh, it's the exploration that I want people to, to really go through. The, the questions I want them to ask is really what works for your body, what does your body love and what your body hate? And what I've found over my years of seeing patients is there's not, there's no hard and fast rule when it comes to food other than eat real foods. We know that, right, as a culture, especially people are, you know, ed- educated and well-read on this. We know real food is, is where it starts, but under the umbrella of real food, what works for one person may not work for the next person. So I've seen really good healthy things work great for one person, and not work well for another person it flares them up it causes them digestive issues it causes them not to feel good it raises inflammation in their body and this largely has to do with intestinal permeability or what they call leaky gut syndrome Hmm. or increased intestinal permeability Mm -hmm. so basically this gut-centric inflammation once you look at or which I mentioned, uh, inflammation is a product of your immune system. Well, 75% of your immune system resides in the gastrointestinal system. Mm. So to understand inflammation, you have to look at where the predominance of the immune system resides, which is largely in the gastrointestinal system or what we commonly refer to as the gut. Right. Um, so and this is obviously where food is being processed and being digested and a lot of food reactivities can upregulate inflammation in the body. So there's foods that cause inflammation like sugar and you know refined sugar and refined grains and we know that. Um, but then there's even healthy foods because of this this epidemic of intestinal permeability and underlying gut issues that can cause even healthy foods to cause problems for some people. So my goal as a functional medicine practitioner is to really tailor a food medicine protocol if if we are advocates to use food as medicine to really find out what's right for the individual. So the conversation that I'm having in the Inflammation Spectrum book is teaching them the methodologies and the practices from a functional medicine perspective how to discover what foods work for you because it does start with food. It absolutely does. But when we talk about all the other things that are not Of Food Uh, because it's not just about food and we can't be overly myopic and say well It's only food and that's the cause for everything Mm -hmm. because it isn't that we have to look at stress We have to look at toxins. We have to look at genetic genetic predispositions. We have to look at sleep All of these are epigenetic things and then we have to look at genetics as well these are constantly and dynamically instructing genetic expression and Inflam- inflammatory cascades right. so we look at epigenetics genetics and i look at the different gene SNPs as well like methylation gene SNPs, which methylation is this big biochemical superhighway that makes detox pathways healthy and hormones happy happy and it builds proteins in our in our body um and we look at cannabinoid gene snips and people are you know obviously CBD is all the buzz in the health blogosphere. So we talk about the cannabinoid system and how that regulates inflammation in the body and the gut-brain axis. Hmm. Um, There's so many variables to consider. We are intricate people um, with a lot of different variables to consider. Um, So I start to uh, hopefully educate people in the book of how to find out their own food code and what works for their body and, and their own life code as well like how what are different stress management tools to calm inflammation what are different ways to use movement to calm inflammation because all of these things are are low cost they're effective they're some of them are no cost that you can start integrating in your life to improve how you feel
0: well, I mean, let's get let's give people that right now that are listening. Let's get let's give people a taste of that at least. And you know, it, a couple things that I wanted to mention because I, I don't think you know, my apologies. I, I don't think that we defined early on that we should is just a definition for functional medicine because it's it's different than ordinary sure. medicine, and you know, it, it it takes a different angle and approach at inflammation. So if you could address that, and also you know, you mentioned the gut. So there was actually a question that was right on the tip of my tongue. I was about to ask you this because commonly we hear that the gut is like the second brain. So, you know, if we could mm-hmm. touch on, on the first functional medicine part and then how the gut is, you know, part of this, this such an intricate part of, you know, the whole system of the human body, that would, that would be great.
1: Sure. Um, functional medicine. Another word for functional medicine is integrative medicine or systems medicine. One of the godfathers of functional medicine called it that. Um, and if I had to differentiate functional medicine from conventional medicine, if we had to like delineate the points here, number one is that in functional medicine we run more comprehensive labs. We look at our we're looking at these underlying commonalities. After a comprehensive health history, we know what labs are relevant, so we're not being superfluous with lab testing, we're not just running labs for the sake of it, but we are being comprehensive without being excessive with labs. Mm-hmm. Cause we wanna not just run the best basic test and just say well your cholesterol is above 200, here's a statin drug, or if your blood sugar is above 100, let's give you a glucose management drug, let's give you a blood sugar lowering drug. Mm-hmm. Let's find out what's the root cause of why you're going through what you're going through, which for the most part, the human race isn't sick from a medication deficiency. Nobody's ultimately sick from from a pharmaceutical deficiency. Mm -hmm. And obviously, some people are alive because of medications. We're not anti-medication in functional medicine. We just ask the question, what is your most effective option in healthcare that's causing you the least amount of side effects? And for some people, medications fit that criterion, and they're they're managing their, med, their symptoms with medications, fantastic. But a lot of people are on medications. That's the only option that they're given in, in conventional medicine. Yet there's a lot more effective options to go to the upstream core dysfunction that's even causing those symptoms in the first place Mm -hmm. uh, without the potential side effects that a lot of pharmaceutical drugs uh, carry along with them so we are looking at things like microbiome issues or gut problems or uh, hormonal imbalances or toxicity issues or genetic predispositions or so many different variables to consider that we get multiple labs perspective from their vantage point like what's the root cause of what's going on here Uh, and then the second thing we do differently in functional medicine is that we interpret the labs that all are already ran in conventional medicine we look at those labs differently because the labs reference range uh, that you're being compared to when you go to like a standard lab whether it's your doctor's office or hospital or lab corp request You'll see your lab number, and then you'll see this reference range that you're being compared to. Well, we, we get that reference range, that X to Y interval of numbers, based on a statistical bell curve average of people who go to that lab. People that predominantly go to labs aren't the healthiest group of people. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people that go to the doctor and like, hey, doc, like I don't feel this way. I'm, I'm fatigued. I have anxiety. I can't sleep. I'm, my de- digestion's wrecked. I have these hormonal symptoms. And then these basic labs come back, quote unquote, normal Hmm. even though the person knows like heck like this is not normal for me and what the doctor is Unintentionally telling them is that you're a lot like the other people with health problems that are making up this reference range that we're comparing you To right so in functional medicine if we're taking people with health problems out of that reference range What's left? It's people that are living long healthy vibrant wellness life lives. so that's what we're comparing you to the patient to To get you there so we can see that objective baseline like what the heck are we up against so we can start Leaning into these findings to start being start seeing the needle move in a positive direction so we can retest and track changes so we're Diligently evidence-based tracking changes on labs because the labs are a reflection of why somebody feels the way that they do Mm -hmm. So and then we realize we're all different so there's uh, a concept called bio-indivi- bioindividuality, mm-hmm. and I talk a lot about it in the inflammation spectrum because you cannot – there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to getting well. And w- the heart of functional medicine is finding out what's right for you. And you could have 100 people with the same ICD-10 code, let's say this fatigue. Mm-hmm. You have – you, you were labeled by conventional medicine as fatigue. Well, what's driving that fatigue? Because that's just – you're just diagnosed with how you feel. You know, you're just – yes, I know I'm tired, but why? Or you're you're labeled with low thyroid issues. You're labeled with fibromyalgia, but why? Hmm. And, you, and underneath the hood, so to speak, because we see the symptom as a check engine light. Okay, you don't just cover up the check engine light and say, see you in six months. You say – what's underneath the hood as you know from a diagnostic standpoint that's actually causing the symptom to be on in the first place so for if we're using fatigue as an example is it a nutrient deficiency is it a hormonal imbalance is it a chronic infection is it a gut issue I mean, it could be anything or is it a stressful job is it a stressful life is it some sort of toxicity we have to keep our minds and our hearts open to really be a, a thoughtful okay. Okay. Diagnostician, you know. Okay. Of what's okay.
0: Going on. So, I mean, you you, you jumped a, a little bit ahead because I mean, bioindividuality is in it, it's I'm looking at it on my questions list. So, I mean, you're segwaying a little bit, but I I wanted you to address the. You know, the importance of the gut in, as the second brain. I'm not sure if that you did that or not. Could, you, could you uh,
1: Yeah, no, I didn't. Yeah, so I, th- that was my long-winded answer of functional medicine. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the gut is, as you had said, our second brain. Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, he said— all disease begins in the gut, and now research is catching up with antiquity—that the majority of health problems today, at least to some degree, begin in the gut, if not at least having a gut component to them. So it's formed from the same fetal tissue as your brain. Uh, it's your second—it's known as a second brain for a reason. It's uh, when babies are growing in their mom's womb, the gut and brain are formed from the same fetal tissue and are inextricably linked for the rest of our lives through what's referred to in the scientific literature as the gut-brain axis hmm. and the ve- and the vagus nerve. Um, and if you think about it, on a physical level, the gut even resembles the brain. And it's also in many far-reaching ways. I mean, if you look at it, 95% of serotonin levels, your happy neurotransmitter, is made in the gut, stored in the gut. When people are maybe nervous about public speaking, they have to run to the bathroom. That's the gut-brain axis. That's the stress-gut-brain hmm. br- mm-hmm. axis. It's always... Uh, in flux, it's always uh, functioning. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's an explosion of research around the gut-brain axis being associated with different neurological issues. The second brain, the gut, is influencing the first brain, our actual brain. So things like anxiety, and depression, and autism, and ADHD, and different autoimmune neurological issues have gut components to them. And it's bi-directional. If someone has, God forbid, like a brain injury, Mm -hmm. that can impact the gut. So it's definitely bi-directional, but oftentimes you have these gut-centric influences Uh, causing problems in the brain, and because it's 75% of the immune system, like I said, it also is uh, linked to many different autoimmune issues. So you don't have to have digestive symptoms to have underlying gut problems. Many people think, I'm going to the bathroom, fine, I'm fine there, gut health's not my thing. But oftentimes, you can see the core underlying gut issue causing a downstream ripple effect in the brain or in the immune system or with our hormones because a lot of our hormones are converted in the gut, like the thyroid hormone, for example. Mm -hmm. So it is so uh, powerfully influential on human health.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I find that really resounding. I, I love that answer. I think it's really important, too. Really understand what's happening in the gut, and I mean, you nailed it. There's there's so many levels to how much it's regulating. Um, I you know I wanted to ask you a little bit more specifically. Let's say that you have someone in their you know mid to late twenties or even early thirties. I mean, that should be the peak of your health, right? Like, I mean if if you're if you're in your early thirties and you're waking up fatigued or tired, and there's I mean at any age, I guess, right? Is there mm-hmm. there is a problem there, right?
1: Oh yes, certainly. And I got to tell you that um, I'm seeing more people in their 20s and 30s and 40s now more than ever because of the ra- the rise of these inflammatory sp- these inflammation spectrum issues, as I referred to in the book, is that they are struggling with anxiety they're struggling with depression they're struggling with fatigue they're struggling with autoimmune issues and this is growing by leaps and bounds and these this generation I mean my generation they are for the most part good patients they are Good stewards and they want to do the right thing, and they're exhausting all the options in conventional medicine, but yet they're still struggling. So, these are the people that I see these complex issues where they're doing all the things, quote unquote, um, but they're looking for answers. And we're having an epidemic of people. And I think it's uh, awesome conversations that you provide on your show that really start to wake people up to, whoa, I have agency on my wellness. I can actually do something about this. Mm -hmm. And, or they see themselves in the conversation and they think, whoa, oh, I thought that was normal. Mm-hmm. Just because something's common doesn't make it normal. Ubiquity doesn't equate necessarily to normalcy. Sure. And many people are struggling with things that they go through every day that they just think, eh, it's normal. Right. It's yeah. must. This must be like... This must be the early 30s. Well, no. I mean chronic health problems and a growing medication list is certainly ubiquitous, but it shouldn't be something that we settle for as a society because, as I said, these are largely things that people can improve, whether that's you know 40 percent improvement or 100 percent improvement. We have influence on our health in most cases.
0: Okay. Okay. So let let me pause you there. Sorry. Sorry. Well, I just I have to. You know, I, I feel like you're. Te- you know, we we're, we're getting into the what we've defined that. So let's let's get into the how. Let's get into you know how. What can we do? How can we change our diet? How can we recognize what our triggers are? What are what are the, some of the things that we're eating that are bad for us? How how do we learn how to do that? How do we learn how to you know, make our diet different or what do you suggest to your patients to do that?
1: Yeah. So you, I would start, it depends on what they're doing. You know, you could get a functional medicine practitioner if you wanted to. Uh, and you know, if you go to functionalmedicine.org, that's who trained me and my team, the Cleveland clinic has a functional medicine center. You could find one in your local city, or we see patients around the world. They could do that at drwillcole.com. They could do that clinical level, but I realize not everybody wants a functional medicine doctor. Not anybody, not everybody needs it. They're not at that place. They just want to start taking action on their health. And that's, why I wrote the book and why I provide content on the site so people can just lean into it on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a good starting point is to kind of see where inflammation is impacting you. And in the book, we have a quiz that I adapted from Questions I Ask Patients, but it's all the quiz is also free on our website at drwillcole.com. They can just take it to get a questionnaire perspective a sub diagnostic if you will perspective it's not a lab but it's it's still checking in with your body and questionnaires are very helpful from a health history standpoint to kind of see these are pointers as to things that may be an issue for you so let's say hormones are more of a problem for you or digestion is or brain health is then you want i, I in the book i give tools to for people to start leaning into different foods so for example if it's neurological issues then we bring things like nootropics in and we bring things like adaptogens in which help these are different plant medicines or Mm -hmm. food medicines that people can focus on to start increasing neuro uh, neurological function and things that enhance uh, brain derived neurotropic factor bdnf to improve neurological capacity. So to decrease fatigue increased Clarity increased energy levels decrease anxiety and depression okay. um, And then from a food standpoint to be specific, yeah. I think they should start with an elimination diet um, And that's tailored to the individual. There's definitely tons of ways to do an elimination diet I mean a carnivore diet is an elimination diet and then there's different variations that aren't that so um, I teach in the book based on the quiz score, which way they would do it would be the most appropriate for them. But generally speaking, or maybe generally without looking at someone's quiz, but specific enough to give people some verbal direction today, um, is that they would remove foods that are most likely to cause problems. So what I refer to as the core four uh, would be grains, and that's going to be wheat and corn and oat and spelt and rye all of that stuff uh sugar and that's going to be processed sugar but also the you know more natural sounding euphemisms for sugar like agave nectar or coconut sugar sounds more natural but still we're going to remove those for a while okay and then three i would see say high omega-6 oils those are going to be things like canola oil and soybean oil or what's referred to as industrial seed oils. Okay. And, f- and four are going to be uh, a, a dairy. I didn't mention dairy. Okay. So four, four would be dairy. And then again, I'd, I'm not making any broad sweeping statements about either one of those four foods because some people can tolerate more of those. Some people can tolerate less of those. Some people can't tolerate them at all. So what we're doing is a food experiment for you to see how you do them do on them. So you go off of them for a number of weeks and then you slowly reintroduce them. And I teach how to do that in the book and obviously for my patients if they needed elimination diet. And then a a more advanced elimination diet is taking that core four into what I refer to as eliminate. And the A-T-E And eliminate is the number eight because there's eight foods. And then we do the core four plus four or more. And that's going to be nightshades, which are plant group of foods of fruits and vegetables like peppers and tomatoes and eggplants and spices and white potatoes, nuts and seeds, legumes, uh, and, and eggs. And that's going to be the eliminate. And then mm-hmm. you remove all eight of those foods for eight weeks and then you slowly reintroduce them. Mm-hmm. And then what the person's going to find is, oh, when I bring this food back in, I feel great. It's fine. I love it. I missed it. I want to bring it back in. Mm-hmm. And then a certain foods on that list they are going to be problematic. So these are the foods that I most commonly have seen over my 11 years of seeing thousands of patients around the world and most likely cause problems. Mm. And obviously there are nuances to this. I mean, there's ways to to, to prepare it. Like you can soak nuts and seeds, you can pressure cooker beans, you can have like different variations of dairy like grass-fed or fermented dairy. You can have soaked grains, you can have gluten-free grains. There's so many variables amongst that. So what I'm teaching in the book is not only are you having problems with that food, But what form of that food will you do better with? Because, for example, eggs can be problematic for some people. But if they have uh, like duck eggs, they'll be fine because – Uh, It's generally more tolerated for some people and then – and so on and so forth. There's different versions of all of those eight foods that are generally speaking more tolerated and some that are less tolerated. So we go through all over the nuances. You can enjoy food. You can love food. You can really get the most out of it. Uh, but do it in a way that works for your body.
0: Okay. Okay. So let me let me just unpack. You know, as much as I can. So it's important for you know a, a person to realize that whatever they're assigning, whatever they're feeling, and if if that's associated with fatigue or anxiety, it, it, it's common to have a person associate that with being normal because they feel or experience that on a regular basis, right? So the, the first thing that we're doing is kind of introducing this idea that. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it, you should be waking up and feeling energized and good about your day, right? Just oh, something. certainly. Yeah. Okay. So, so, and then, you know, you're, you're advocating a, a sort of elimination diet where you're starting to remove certain foods and, and, and then see how your body responds or reacts to the things that you're removing. Exactly. Okay, and so when you mention when you mentioned sugars, I mean that that seems like the biggest thing. But when you mention that, does that obviously includes fruit sugars as well, right? Uh, it
1: does not include sugar. It, it includes added sugar, so not ah, sugar okay. inside of fruit. So people can have fruits. And I do explain in the book and to my patients to not have lots of fruit sugar, meaning don't have fruits all day long, just to focus generally having more vegetables than fruits. And I generally would say cooked vegetables to make them more digestible. Um, but yes, fruits allowed, whole food sugars are fine um, in an elimination diet approach. And you can modify that if you want to have like more of a lower carb elimination diet approach or a ketogenic elimination diet approach, you could do that and remove the fruits, but from a general person standpoint, there's not an inherent need for that.
0: Hmm, okay, very interesting. I mean someone we had a question come up uh, that I, I found interesting. It, they talked about fasting. I mean, how connected are you to you know really f- like intermittent fasting or just just fasting for a short period? Do you mm-hmm. recommend it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I and it's about finding out how to do it that works for your body. We do talk about it in both the books, um, because it is a major facet to health and longevity and lowering inflammation. Fasting has really some exciting research around it in enhancing something called autophagy or cellular repair. It's uh basically cellular recycling. It's your healthy cells recycling out the dysfunctional cells. It's our body's own inherent uh, like anti-aging, anti-disease <clears throat> mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And uh, fasting increases it. Ketosis increases it. There's a lot of uh, research around that. Um, and it is the goal of intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding is finding out the window that works best for you. So, And I go over different ways, but the the simplest way of time-restricted feeding is what's called an 8 to 6 window. And it's eating between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. That's very easy. I mean, that's just not eating too late. It's allowing over the night for you to fast until you break the fast at breakfast. Mm -hmm. And then there's tighter time-restricted feeding windows like 12 to 6. You're only eating between 12 p.m. and 6 p.m. And then there's modified fasting mimicking diets where you're doing caloric restriction for a number of days to mimic the benefits of fasting the ketogenic diet is by its very definition it is a fasting mimicking diet because it's mimicking a lot of the benefits of fasting without actually fasting Um, and you see a lot of the same benefits and similarities between both the ketogenic diet and uh, intermittent fasting so for example like i will Eat, eat when I'm hungry. I eat until I'm satiated. And the more fat adapted or keto adapted somebody is, they can start leaning into these practices. The problem I find with fasting is people doing too much too soon, like gritting their teeth, and they're coming into fasting with like uh, a dieting consciousness or mentality where they're just going to like push through it, which maybe has its place in small instances, but largely speaking, I find that people set themselves up for for failure because they aren't fully fat adapted. They're doing too much fasting and then they go and binge Mm. uh, after the fast and Mm. that's not the appropriate. So it has to be in context with a larger healthy lifestyle and a healthy relationship with food and your body and wellness. Um, So I think that the best... Form of intermittent fasting is the kind and the type that works for you and start off slow, lean into it, see where you feel the best, take into consideration how you feel um, through that time because more isn't always better. Um, but I am excited about the research around it. I do it almost every day to some degree. Uh, and I even lean into these more extreme versions of it, like what's called the OMAD or One Meal a Day, the yeah. acronym OMAD, sure. where I'll do like a 22 to 2 or 23 to 1 fasting to eating window. And I'm getting my calories in in those, in that um, range. So I, I, it's not for everybody. But I think it's about leaning into it and seeing where you feel great at. And I, I – I, I tend to do really well with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff there that's that's really crucial. I mean, Dr. Cole, I, I, I mean, admittedly, I don't think I have the best you know diet. I just, I work a lot. And most of the time, what I find myself going through is, you know, it takes me some time to get out of bed. I mean, I'm fatigued when I get up. And then when I finally do, it's like coffee. The only thing that I'm thinking about. And, you know, I just... God, I, I, am really trying to figure this out more, but, you know, and then, you know, as I start to sort of ingest this caffeine, you know, my energy comes back and, you know, I'm feeling good and I will, I will, you know, I'll roll through, you know, until like two or three PM. I look down, I go into my flow state zone, you know, as I'm working, I'll look down. It's, it's like two o'clock. I haven't eaten anything. And next thing I know, I'm just, I'm crashing. You know, and like Mm -hmm. I'm 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 headed to the kitchen looking, you know, I'm primarily eating like salad or something like that in the middle of the day. I mean, when when you see someone waking up fatigued, I mean, what could be the cause of that?
1: Well, it really could. No, no, it's not. Um, some things I would uh, think about is looking at the quality of sleep. I think many people are not sleeping well. They're they're stressed. They don't have what's commonly referred to as sleep hygiene. They kind of are on electronics too late. They are on social media too late. And their circadian rhythm is – jacked for lack of a bit, more technical sure, terms. It's, sure. it's off. Um, and it, they aren't getting restorative sleep, and they're getting very interrupted sleep. And so they wake up in the morning feeling like they could have slept like two hours, but it actually was like six or seven, which probably still isn't enough hmm. because it's not enough quality and it's not enough good enough qu- quantity of sleep. So that's one thing I would think about. But then you could run some labs and check into their biochemistry, like where where are their hormone levels uh, where are the inflammation levels, uh, what uh, what do their nutrients look like. So all of these things can be um, assessed from an objective data standpoint. And looking at cortisol, which is uh, inversely proportional or should be, to serotonin, which is converted into melatonin at night. So you see this melatonin circadian rhythm. Um, inversely proportional to cortisol rhythm which is higher in the morning to wake you up and this nice s-shaped circadian rhythm throughout the day to allow melatonin to come up through the night and you can quantify melatonin and cortisol throughout the day so the, what's commonly referred to as adrenal fatigue it's really a brain-based issue the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis that we measure via urine and saliva Mm. and what's called the cortisol awakening response or the car and there's some exciting research uh, centered around that to kind of gauge these circadian rhythm issues um, which are again brain-based issues adrenal fatigue is not an adrenal problem inherently it's a brain-based component Mm -hmm. which external stressors like technology and uh, blue light and stress hmm. all of these things can impact a circadian rhythm and the foods we eat can impact a circadian rhythm so bringing things in to Activate the parasympathetic resting digesting system things like adaptogens to help with that brain uh, cortisol access things to support uh, melatonin production hmm. all of these things are, are some things to consider but keep an open mind. It's the science and the art, the duality of functional medicine because the other side of that is the art and what's the space in between the facts? What is the space in between the data and really kind of looking at this person and and being almost like a clinical Sherlock Holmes and finding out, okay, what's missing from here? And don't be so like sure and double look and triple look at what's going on here.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I'm so glad that you mentioned sleep hygiene i I think that's really important i mean there is it's it seems like you know there there are more people that are that are focused on and we're finding out like we had we had uh dave asprey on the show and he's all about you know bulletproof diet and blue light and avoiding that and a lot of my friends you know started picking up these blue light blocking glasses and wearing those so i mean like what would how would you design sleep hygiene i mean should we be off of our phones not looking at our phones whatsoever for how many hours before we you know are getting into bed and then you know like just the blue light blocking glasses i mean do you do you find those are substantial enough to recommend Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i do um it depends on what your baseline is like are you sleeping fantastic or are you not? Do you feel great or not? So like my advice that I'm gonna be given this instant is about if you're having issues and then how far you have to go to provide the quality sleep and the energy and the you know restorative sense of well-being that you're looking for. So the variability back to that bio-individuality is those are all different uh, glass sizes so to speak, like glasses of water. Some people have bigger glasses, some people have smaller glasses and these people with the smaller glasses, they'll fill up an overflow tipping point of symptoms quicker than somebody with a big glass. You can't change your glass size. That's our genetic tolerance to stressors. Mm. But we can change what we put in the glass. And when uh, we're talking about one tipping point, one glass overflowing, and that is poor sleep or fatigue – uh, and if it's fatigue centered around poor sleep, which it doesn't always center around lack of sleep, but um, in this example, uh, if we're looking at improving sleep, some sleep hygiene things that people can consider if their glass is overflowing, so to speak, with poor sleep, is and is are things like uh, going off of technology. I think that that would be around sleep. I would probably recommend one hours to two hours before sleep going off of technology. And if you are going to be on technology, look at things like blue blue light blocking glasses. And Dave Asprey actually has... Um, he's invested in a company, uh, that's, uh, really good and he may own it to some degree. I, I don't have any connection with them other than knowing that they provide really good evidence-based stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called true dark, uh, that Dave Asprey is an advocate for. I'm an advocate for as well. Okay. Uh, and they do have different lenses depending on what you need. Some that are like twilight ones that you do wear at night that are very helpful for people. And then ones that are like daylight ones and they have, uh, con- like uh, the the glasses that change um, colors in in the light. They have a lot of different variations and styles. I have seen in my own life and in my patient's life and in my team's life and my functional medicine center, these uh, glasses work really well. And again, I have no connection to that brand. There's other brands that are great too, um, but that's the one that I have the most experience with. Um, And then I think essential oils can be really good and there's some uh, promising uh, research and really good anecdotal just clinical experience that I've noticed over the years of things like... Uh, lavender to be really helpful at night. Whether you can put a few drops in your bath at night or mm-hmm. shower, you can put some on your pillow. You can put some like uh, um, like under your nose to help breathe in uh, calming things like lavender or have it diffusing in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, meditation apps can be really fantastic. So, uh, meditation apps like Headspace or Calm. Uh, have nighttime meditations or hopefully it would be turning off the technology once you learn how to meditate and then just do it on Your own, mm-hmm. but guided meditations can be great. And then your phones. You're not looking at your phone. You're just listening to it um, But then once you get the hang of meditation, you don't need an app. You can just do it yourself mm-hmm. um, But you have to build that mindfulness muscle and sometimes at the beginning it's using technology to learn that skill set um, Unless you're gonna go to like a mindfulness class which sure. You could do that um, uh, so, and then I am also an, a fan of uh, weighted blankets or gravity blankets, mm. which are like this proverbial hug of a blanket um, that um, really, again, activates the parasympathetic resting system. And it is just a blanket that's weighted, and it is um, great for people that are wired and tired where they are, they know they're exhausted, but they just can't calm down. Uh-huh. Um, they have racing thoughts at night, and they have the anxiety at night, and they just can't relax, or they have interrupted sleep. This is something to consider: a weighted blanket or a gravity blanket. Um, so those are some some things to consider, and like obviously keep the lights off. Make sure that the windows are closed up so you're not getting the morning light up at at dawn. Uh, So those are some things to consider. CBD oil can be good. Chamomile tea can be good. These are all things to consider in your sleep hygiene toolbox.
0: I love those. I love those. I love those suggestions. I hadn't really considered the weighted blanket. I've heard that mentioned before. Um, I specifically, I've, I've got my place sort of wired with red light to reduce the, the blue light aspect of things. I tried the, the blue light sunglasses. They just didn't, you know, I I don't know. It's hard to wear those hard to put those on. Sometimes there's a program that you can download called flux. I'm sure you've probably heard of it. Yes. And, and that will adjust your, your screen settings and how much blue light is coming off of your screen. Um, I think it's, I, the smell aspect of, you know, introducing this smell, that's this calming thing and, and attaching that to, you know, a calm centered place in your brain. That's a really great recommendation as well. What about exercise? How much should we be exercising? Should we, should we be doing weight training? Should we be doing cardio? I mean, where's the balance there?
1: I think the balance is there. It depends on the individual. So that's definitely a a topic of exploration that I have in the inflammation spectrum in the book because I want people to find that rhythm. Of things that invigorate them that challenge them that push them that's not causing them a, 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 An excess an accentuation or a flare-up of any inflammation So for example people that have like these adrenal rhythm issues like the circadian rhythm HPA axis issues uh, Sometimes they can work out and they'll feel worse after they work out They're, They say things like I'm I'll pay for it an increase of fatigue for like a day or two And it's not just the normal like muscle soreness or like I had a good workout feeling it's like no I'm have an increase of fatigue or a real uh, flare-up of symptoms mm-hmm. so that's too much that's too much for them they need to l- scale it back and find uh, a workout routine that works for their bodies And again more isn't always better when you have these either inflammatory issues or hormonal uh, imbalances perpetuated by inflammation. So then um, maybe they need more restorative yoga and Tai Chi. I think that we need to find a balance. We need to mix things up. I think humans do good with uh, mixing workouts up and not being always doing the same thing. I think the general um, advice that I would say is finding a rhythm that works for you. Mm-hmm. Go outside of your comfort zones. Make sure you're moving and sweating as much as your body can tolerate and, and give yourself rest in between. Um, I think those are some things to think about. So, for example, like I'll do a Peloton uh, cycle that I, I like the Peloton because I can get a lot done in a short period of time, uh, time and I don't have to go driving to a gym. And then the next day I'll do a burst training circuit and the next day I'll just rest or the next day I'll do yoga and the next day I will just go walking with my dog. So you can mix it up. You don't have to do the same thing every day.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I would presume that if – if you're at that stage of you know burning out when you're after the gym you're you're pushing way too hard you got to scale back
1: certainly yeah and it's it's just it may, maybe you need to check in if you feel burnt out i would almost advise you to check in with some labs, like what's going on there. Maybe it is just you need to rest, and it's as simple as that. As that, or is there something going on hormonally or from an inflammation standpoint that's causing you not to rebound uh, like you should?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really important that we get a sense of measurement. I, labs crucial to that. I mean, uh, getting your me- your levels measured and knowing where you are. I mean, it, that's that's a key part of understanding. Your, your health. I mean, Will, we've got about 11, 10 minutes left. So, you know, I really want to take the, the rest of this time to sort of wrap this together in a way that, you know, people can sort of understand how to better, you know, c- certain practical things that they can apply. We've been giving a lot of those, really appreciate that. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, though, was, you know, I am very much a night owl. I just enjoy being up at night. Um, I, a lot of my friends are this way as well. And they're just awake at night. You know, what's, I mean, what's your recommendation there? How do you, how do you respond to that?
1: Well, I think people can get away with it for a certain period of time. And some people have, again, big glasses. Some people have smaller glasses that can handle that certain level of stress. But the research is pretty clear that if you are, even just one night of poor sleep will spike inflammation levels up. But yet how many people do we know? Either like you, you're saying like you enjoy it, you just are staying up late, mm-hmm. or you they can fall asleep because of, you know, insomnia for whatever reason. And both of those cases, you'll see spiked inflammation levels. It's how much is g- it going to take to overflow your glass? That's the mm-hmm. question. Because some people, they have a big glass and they're going to, they could do that for years and years of their life and they're fine. Right. And then some people, if they do that enough times, they're really going to pay for it yeah. in their quality of life. Yeah. So there's no broad sweeping statement on that. As If you feel fine, if you're getting through your day, if you're meeting your goals both in life and in your health, then maybe don't stress about it. I think you live your life. People should have the freedom to live the life the way that that they want to live. Mm -hmm. But my experience are the people that can't get away with that is that they've done it for a time and it's created actually poor circadian rhythms. Now they can't get to sleep even if they tried Mm -hmm. um, because their circadian rhythms are so um, imbalanced or deranged that they can't actually get a proper sleep. Um, so what maybe started off as like a night turn or a graveyard shift, or they just like staying out late. They actually can't get a normal circadian rhythm. They don't have that rebound, that, that flexibility to like, do it and then flip back. Or maybe they did it for so long that they can't flip back. So it's my job to kind of get that flip back on the normal circadian rhythm because sleep is so important. Sleep is not just a luxury or something that you do when you're older or dead. As people say, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Sleep is a a mandate on your wellness. It is paramount to your health. And uh, it is so important. I think we have an epidemic of poor sleep in our culture largely driven by technology, actually. I think people have too much content in a way that they just can preoccupy themselves with more content and they're not getting enough sleep. So I think it is finding that rhythm, that balance, that stillness that the human body needs because remember, our genetics haven't changed in 10,000 years. For sure. Uh, But yet our society has changed very dramatically in a very short period of time. And it's, it's this onslaught of... Technology, which is a double edged sword. We love technology. It's how I talk to my patients. It's how we're talking right now. It's fantastic. It's amazing. But it is can be when unregulated create this sort of endless vortex that's impacting our physiology in a negative way through blue light and just constant stimulation. Um and stress and anxiety sometimes with the content people are confused about um you know, especially when it as it regards to health um yeah. doctor Google as we call it but the <laughs> uh, but it's the you know i think that it it's it's other reasons too, obviously you might like hanging out with your friends at night to too mm-hmm. but i I would just say just look and take. An inventory on your health, and ultimately say, "Am I at where I want to be? Where am I willing to start making some compromises of things that maybe aren't in alignment with where I want to be?"
0: Okay, okay. So a couple things that you know sparked uh, just uh, some questions as you were speaking. Um, okay, so you know, I think it was really important that you said, you know, right now it might not feel like you're impacting your health in a negative way. But later, as you get older, it is going to impact you. You are going to feel it. And I I think that's crucial of an understanding so that we start at an early age and look at, you know, what am I eating? Is it balanced? And usually your body will tell you. You know, your body will communicate with you and let you know when you're doing the wrong thing. It feels like the wrong thing, right? So um, Mm. one other thing I wanted to ask was uh, just... You know, if if we could get into supplements and supplementation, Uh, it's a really big part of, you know, kind of my life. Are there some specific supplements that you absolutely recommend that people use?
1: Uh, I'm actually really excited about things that help modulating uh, inflammation levels and modulating stress hormones. Um, And so I'm fascinated by different uh, botanicals like turmeric and curcuminoids uh, and resveratrol uh, that help to attenuate inflammation levels. Uh, and same with adaptogens. I think that the adaptogenic kingdom is quite uh, fascinating as far as the research is concerned. Um, actually, for the inflammation spectrum book, we put together these botanicals that are very highly researched in this in the clinical nutrition research um to for people to lean into it's a blend we call calm calm yourself but it's about calming inflammation and calming stress but specifically curcuminoids are really fascinating those are the compounds that are in turmeric um and uh ashwagandha as far as adaptogens concerned holy basil rhodiola uh these are adaptogens that help with that circadian rhythm and l-theanine i think is really fascinating too it's not an adaptogen but it's just a compound that helps with this relaxing and uh parasympathetic activity in the body
0: Hmm. yeah i i love it dr cole i mean there's there's so much information in the book and you know it, it does seem like inflammation is a huge part big part i deal with it a lot and you know i I've been trying to hone it and trying to, you know, force myself. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a workaholic and I thrive on just working a lot. How important is it that, you know, we are purposely intentionally not doing anything, you know, maybe, maybe we're just, you know, in this zone of, of nature, you know, like going out and going to a park and just, just hanging out there. How important are those two things doing nothing and connecting with nature?
1: so important. And again, we have to check in with our body and how much we can handle. Some you, you can maybe handle more than the next person. Um, but I would say to some degree, it's going to be applicable to most people um, that they have to find stillness and whatever that looks like. It may be doing nothing and just relaxing and resting. Um, or I think things like forest bathing, uh, which is what the you know the, the translation from Japanese g- calls it. Um, it's just getting out in nature and the benefits coming out of Japan and South Korea are really fascinating that I actually talk about the research in the inflammation spectrum of how you can use nature uh, in something as simple as just walking out in the forest to lower inflammation and the fact of the impact that has in the modulation of these different inflammatory cascades is really exciting and it's free it's (laughs) something that anybody can do i mean unless you live in the middle of a city but even new york city has central park even the most robust you know uh, metropolitan areas have some green space so it's finding that that stillness even in in the noise but i I, that's why i live in the in the countryside so i can have that a little bit more easily available yeah. yeah yeah
0: so important uh, Dr. Cole I really really appreciate sincerely appreciate your time tonight I know you're a very busy very busy guy um, where can people pick up the book you said that it was coming out October
1: October 15th but October it's 15. on pre-order now yeah we have everything at drwillcole.com com. thanks again for having me but yeah it's dr w i l dot com. they can pre-order the inflammation spectrum they can check out that quiz that i was talking about it's free on the website Um, and we have actually an instant download of the first chapter right now during pre-order so yeah thanks for having me again
0: Yeah, for sure guys that is the show thank you so much for listening I know that kind of wrapped a little bit early tonight I mean it's right on time actually usually we're way over so I kind of wanted to be guarded about how far we went with the show tonight but I think we covered a lot of really good information by you know this book The Inflammation Spectrum the name of my guest Dr. Will Cole I mean there's a lot of really good information in this book so that's gonna do it for us here at HXP for this week we're going to be back next week for sure if you're not subscribed to us on YouTube if you're listening to this on the podcast version go and search for the Human Experience Podcast click subscribe and and If you can, if you, if you have access to iTunes, we we're charting on iTunes right now. And I'm really asking our hardcore fans to go over there and subscribe. And if you're feeling generous, please leave us a review. That would be such a compliment and such a big thing for me personally. I really thank you guys for listening. Hopefully you guys appreciate us putting on this show for you guys every week. We're going to get out of here. Thank you so much.